Wonderful. Uh, yeah, God's good. I want to talk about finding peace in a frantic world. It's funny, I woke up this morning, looked at my BBC app. Does anybody else check the news first? You should check the Bible first, but I keep forgetting and I go to my BBC News app and the top story is 30% more London fire, or, uh, well, it's actually 50% more London firemen, but 30% more nationally taking time off for stress. Who knows stress, uh, anxiety, and even then depression is a, it's an epidemic in our world today. 72 million days were lost to stress in work last year. 72 million days taken out. Uh, and of course, we live in a real kind of, it's a bit of a messed up world, isn't it? Where it, it you know, and things are getting more and more messed up. Um, there's, a new, uh, uh, there's a new truth on the block, uh, even beyond the LGBT, did I put enough letters in there? There's probably another letter that I'm missing. Uh, you know, the latest one is gender fluidity. But the, the reality is people that are working through the whole gender fluid issues are nine times more likely to attempt to commit suicide, which says there's a lot going on underneath the hood, as an American would say, right? There's a lot of stuff going on in society right now. And, um, but even for Christians, I want to talk to you about living at peace because we live in a broken world and, and sometimes, uh, I heard someone say recently, I wonder if a fish knows it's wet. You know, because you're in it so much, we often become unaware of what's washing over us in our day-to-day -day life. So who knows that Christians, as much as anyone else, can struggle with stress, anxiety, depression, and such related things. Um, so it's really important, whether you're a Christian here today, or whether you're, you're someone who's snuck in to have a little listen about the Christian perspective on finding peace, uh, then listen up. This is really important, because um, we don't just want to exist through years, do we? We want to enjoy life. Just because you're breathing doesn't mean you're enjoying it. <laughs> Come on, somebody be real with me, right? You know, Vicky shouts upstairs, Come on, it's time to go to church. I don't want to go. Nobody likes me there. You have to go. You're the pastor. You know, it's... <laughs> we all uh, go through seasons, times, and... and um, but they can be growth times because actually when we're not at peace, it's a sign that we're not quite living right. Sometimes it's a sign that we've been through a trauma and we need time to heal. But at other times, it's that we're not quite living right. But I just want to give you some, some tips from the Bible and from life and maybe a couple of little thoughts uh, to help you this morning. Is that okay? And then what we're going to do, I've come on a little bit early so that we've got time to worship and just be in God's presence uh, at the end. And I believe he's just going to touch some lives and... Um, whether you feel, because a lot of people go, I'm not a stressful person, I'm not an anxious person. Uh, but there are some things I'm going to say today that probably would be relevant for everyone in the room. And you might just think, yeah, I want to make a few adjustments in my life because I want to live healthy and I want to live well. Is that okay? Have I got my, my PowerPoint up, Simi? Everybody thanks Simi. We like Simi. Thank you. She's where, she's where she can be seen today, so she hasn't got her breakfast like normal. There's no, <laughs> there's no bacon and eggs and stuff like that. And so the title is Finding Peace uh, in a Frantic World. Let's just look. I, I just want to bring two main thoughts, and it won't take too long, he said. You know me. Peace is a posture. Um, I love this scripture. One of my, it's a fridge magnet one, right? 
you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. The first thing the inner peace is, it's a posture. Um, I think one of the great issues in life today is that, is that we're often living life from the wrong posture. What do I mean by that? Well, internally, if we are living to please others, your life will become stressful. If you're living for approval, and you can be a Christian 40 years and still be living for God's approval and for the other, not realizing you have it already. I know it's cliched and it's much easier said than done, but we should live from approval, not for approval. We're first and foremost loved. Yes, loved in all of our brokenness, in all of our immaturity, still completely and absolutely loved. Do you, do you love a, you know, an, a, your adult child more than your baby child it, just because the one has matured and developed? No, you love the undeveloped, still full of errors and inexperience and you love the me, me, me years and the no, no, no years and the ah years, right? <clears throat> and that's just all before three months old, you know. We live with an internal posture in our lives, uh, whether it's before God or before each other. Uh, there's a, there's a, one of the great landmark books on depression. Essentially, its first keynote truth is this. Depression is a disease of the good. It's normally people trying to be too good. It's the grandmother that's trying to hold it together for the grandkids because the mum is going through issues and, and suddenly we're trying to hold the world together and keep the husband happy and, well, mothers, you got it bad at the moment because you feel guilty if you go to work and you feel guilty if you stay at home. It just depends who you listen to. And so we have a world awash with opinions and what you should do and ought to and if we're not self-contained in our sense of peace as a human, essentially, I like me. If there's not that central, I'm loved, I'm worthy of love, I'm, I'm God's child, and actually, I, I, I see that there's a gazillion ways that people might want me to live, but, you know, as the Bible will put it, stuffed a lot of them, um, I'm going to live my life before God, and with the people I love, and live the life God's called me to live. And there's a healthiness in finding the right posture. When you live for approval, in the short term it brings you stress, in the long term it'll make you depressed. Um, when you live trying to be too good, trying to hold it together for the rest of the family, or, 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 or what about, see, your posture in life might not show up until the, 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 the pressure starts to be piled on. So you start, you're 18, it's fine, isn't it? You've got all your dreams in front of you. It's going to be great. You're going to be a pop star. <laughs> and then life happens, and you don't quite make it. And then you're married. Then you've got four kids. You don't even know how that happened, because you didn't do biology properly at school. And then you've, you've got this house you can't afford, so you've got this mortgage, you're in this job, and it's not a pop star, you're now... And suddenly you find yourself at a certain age in life, and the pressure is being piled on, and you start to think, so is this it? Is this really it now? And all the sense of adventure and life and excitement is being sucked out of you. Listen, peace has to come from somewhere far more stable than what happens to us in life has to come from a posture that says, I'm loved, 
And even in my brokenness, I'm liked. But here's a secret. I don't have to be liked by everyone. In fact, if you're doing anything of worth, you'll be disliked by plenty. So to live for approval is essentially tormenting yourself. How many likes on Facebook? How many retweets on Twitter? The rudeness of people on social media. I find it stunning. There's not real you and social media you, there's just you. So if you're unkind on social media, you're unkind. If you're rude on social media, you're a rude person. But why are we rude? We're often rude because something's going on under the hood. Uh, You know, it's it's often envy or nitpicking uh, because something's missing in us. But the Bible says he will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is leaning on God instead. Some would say, well, I think Christianity is a crutch. It is. Absolutely. And the great thing of probably most of the people in the room is you've discovered early on in life you need a crutch. It it takes some people 80 years to realize I've just limped through life. Unloved but keeping going. Thank God if you realize early, I need a crutch. I need help. Yes, I am broken. Watch the news for a day. The world is broken. But Jesus came to heal right at the very center of our hearts and our minds, but then right out into society. He is the healer. And God can give you peace when your posture is this, I'm trusting God. Now that's, that's much bigger than we think. I am trusting God with everything. If God was dead, then this would be about us doing something to God far off somewhere. If Jesus is alive and actually is in the space here between you and me, he's under our feet, he's over our heads, he's in our past, he's in our future, he's in our today, he's in our bank balance, he's in our home, he's in the parenting of our kids. If Jesus is everywhere, then listen to this. It's important to discover this, that Christianity is not you living for God. It is God doing things for you. John 1 says, from the fullness of his grace, you have received blessing after blessing after blessing. In other words, God is intrinsically involved and interested in every part of your life. This is not what we do for him. It is what he does for us when we trust him. He's involved in everything. There's not a bill he doesn't know how to pay. There's not a song he can't write. There's not a job he can't do. There's not a child he can't bring up. Having said that, God is a perfect parent. Even he has wayward children. So cut the guilt over wayward children. (laughs) If God is for me, I want to know, is this your posture? See, this is the posture of rest. God is for me. He's not just for me because I preach. You know, so he's for my preaching. And he's for pastoral ministry. No, if God is for parenting and marriage and every kind of job you can imagine. If God is for your mental health, is God, if God is, is, is for your learning, if God is for me, who can be against us? Listen to this verse. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Now, this is a life verse for me. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? I want you to catch this posture for life. 
God is looking after you. Every best thing you can have in life, you are not going to earn it. He's going to give it you because he loves you. I think trying to control the world around us is one of the greatest sources of stress. Anybody know what I mean? (laughs) Control the kids, control the husband, control the grandparents. They're not here, we can be naughty. (laughs) If only they would, right? If only he would. The bank balance, the career, the sense that to do this well, I must be in control of it. Listen, listen, Christian, no, no, no. Cast all your care on him, for he cares for you. I, 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 I spent some time this summer readjusting my posture. And God got me to look at at this verse, and he says, look at your life, and I want you to write down every major event and uh, successful thing or part of your life. And I listed about 30 things in my life that were most precious to me, I would see as the most successful things I've ever been involved in or uh, at a very personal level, privately, or, or, or publicly in the things that I do. And here's the secret that I found when I wrote these 30 or so things down that God had done every one of them. He had done them to me and for me. And then then he said, so list down all the things that you work really hard at trying to make succeed. And uh, it wasn't much of a list, and those things hadn't succeeded at all. And I actually realized this, that if God will give us Jesus, how much more will he not be involved in every part of our life? I can give you a job. I can help you with your education. I, I, can, I can ease your mind. I, I'll help you buy a car. I'll help you bring up children. There is no part where God is not intimately involved in our lives. And when we give up this false sense of control that we somehow have to make life good, no, he is for you, not against you. God is involved in every part of your life. God is going to save your husband. God is going to touch your home. God will touch your finances if we trust him. And that that is the point where we go, okay, God, I pick this up. It's nothing to do with me trying to be successful. That will just stress you out. Because by the time you get successful, you'll completely redefine what success is anyway. So it's a false horizon you never reach. But God is involved even in the fish in your pond, Darren. See, when we pull God into every... We we know God's too busy sorting out North Africa. No, no, God's got plenty of brain cells left to deal with the most, what we think is insignificant of things. But God keeps in perfect peace the man who leans his whole life on him and says, Daddy, will you help me with this? While I was um, uh, on sabbatical this summer, um, I was sat down... Uh, in, in Greenwich at, at the Queen's House, as you do, and I'm, and I, it's, it's a tourist attraction. I'm, I'm sat there looking up to, to Greenwich, and it's, uh, it, uh, um, it's the place where essentially we look at the skies and interpret the times. And, and God just began to speak to me. And uh, while I was there, now I'd, I'd had a couple of thoughts rumbling around in my brain for a while, but uh, I got back home from, from London, and God just said to me, Begin to write. 
two days later, and short days too, not long days, eight, eight, nine hours each day, something like that, God had downloaded 27,000 words of a book. And I'd just written and written and written and written what he was saying, all about what God is about to do in the world and stuff that he'd been saying to me, and it all kind of crystallized and came together. I went back to try and re-edit it. It hardly needed editing. I sent it straight to the publisher. It's coming out in about two weeks. And I sit there going, so God, so you see, God can write books if we lean our life on him. There's nothing he's not interested in. I remember being single, and you know when you're single, and, and you know, at first you might try and manipulate and connive, and, and you know, maybe God's gonna do it this way, and, and in the end, as a young man, I, I just kind of gave up in my 20s, and I, and I oh well, God, I, I leave it to you. And actually, God, if I'm honest, here, here I am telling God what to do again, to, to control the world around about me. Anybody does this? I said to God, God, okay, right, well, um, whoever my wife is, I just want to meet her, fall in love, that's it. There's one thing I don't want it to be, God, and that's prophetic. <laughs> I don't like all this prophecy around marriage thing. I'd had so many prophecies, my wife was going to be tall, short, black, white, fat, thin, do you know what I mean? And then one day I receive a letter. A man called Steve Upple invited me to go speak at his church. And I, and I received this letter. And it was all the details about the church. And, and, and at the end, yours sincerely. And it was from the church administrator who sat on the front row today. And it said, yours sincerely, Victoria Mantle. And as I read that, I, see, I didn't conjure it up. It wasn't in a prayer time. I was doing admin. And I read, Victoria Mantle. And God said, that's your wife. Wow. And I'm like, I said, I didn't want it to be prophetic. <laughs> Stop it. And then three months later, I go to the church and there in the band playing the violin and the sound check as I arrive is this beautiful woman on the platform. And I go, that'll be her. And it was. <laughs> you see, there's not an area. He's a matchmaker. God already knows the day you're going to get married. He, he, you know that debt? He already knows how it's going to be paid if you lean on him. We, now, we can miss the timings of God because we're busy trying to do it ourselves. But this is the privilege that we have in knowing God. We can lean on Him and make it a posture of, I trust you. And you know what trust does? It puts a smile on your face. Because we remember, I'm completely loved. He's covered my yesterdays. He's right here, right now with me. And he's in all of my tomorrows. I only want the kind of success he will give anyway. You don't have to look far to realize that perceived success can be an absolute mess. Even though it might look good from a distance. Still, people are broken inside. What I want is deep inner success. I'm leaning on my heavenly father every day going, but I trust him. I trust him. He is going to bring the breakthrough. Are you with me? Essentially, it says, be still. Literally means put down your tools. Be still and know that I am God. And then it carries on. I will be exalted in the nations. There's a link between being still and him being exalted. While we're frantically trying to fix it, while we're frantically trying to make sure that what we think should happen, happens, there's, 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 it's, it's humanistic and there's a stress and there's a control that comes with it. But the day that we turn and go, God, I trust you. I trust you with my kids. I trust you with my marriage. I trust you with my joys. I trust you with my sorrows. As we lean on him, we realize we're in the hands of someone who cares. He will do it. Amen.
when, when, when Moses met God at the burning bush, um, God came and said, I have seen the suffering of my people, and so now I am coming to come and, and do something, and, and I am sending you Moses. And God was saying, I am, I am, I am. And in fact, he ends the whole section with, I am that I am. And Moses kept going, yeah, but, but what, you know, what, what if I don't get it right? And God's like, no, 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 I'm saying this is what I'm going to do. Understand in your life, every dream you've had, every picture, it's not for you to try and connive and make it happen. God is saying, this is what I want to gift to you. I am going to make you. You are my work of art. A painting doesn't sprout arms, grab a paintbrush and finish itself off. It's just there. Okay, God, paint. Paint. If you believe you are a work of art, you will live at peace. While we spend our lives trying to fix ourselves... It will only lead to the futile realization at the end. I couldn't do it. I wasn't strong enough. But here's the beautiful reality. God is for you. If he's already given you his most prized possession, the suffering of his son for your sins, how much more will he not graciously give you all things? Here's the second little point I want to make this morning before we worship. Peace is a person. Look at those scriptures. He shall be called Prince of Peace. Ephesians 2.14, he himself, Jesus, is our peace. Peace is about standing near God. I remember a, a, a TV crew came to film at, uh, at Revive, uh, and they were filming about all different healings, and they weren't Christian. They came to, to film about healings that were going on around the church, and, and I'd been with them, and they'd interviewed various staff members through the day, and um, the girl that does the sound, she, would, she, would, she had the boom with a little fluffy thing on the end, and uh, she was evidently ill. So there was something wrong with her. She was having head pains and, and in difficulty. She was due to go to the hospital to have tests, and, and, uh, and, and she was quite worried about her health, and, and as the day goes on, they kept talking about her health, and of course, we were talking about healing. And then it came near the end of the day, and it came to, to my interview, and I'm there talking. I showed them videos of the, of, of the dead being raised, and Reinhard Bonnke, and all this kind of stuff. I talked about all the things that God does. Uh, and, then, uh, and they talked about you know, the fact this girl was ill, and amongst themselves. And, and I went off to the kitchen at Bridlington Avenue, and as I'm walking, thinking, well, you know, that was a good little interview, et cetera, et cetera. And then I just hear God say, well then. And I'm like... Yes, you know, as if I didn't know. I, I already knew what he was talking about. Well, you're talking about healing. Pray for her. Oh, what, but Lord, what if it doesn't work? We've told all these stories. It will, this is what I, it will discredit you. Aren't we full of nonsense? What I mean is I didn't want to put my life on the line. So anyway, I argued with God all the way while I got the drinks and all the way back, and then I put the tray down, and then, you know, okay, well, look, we're talking about healing. Evidently, you're not very well. Why don't we pray for you to be healed? And let's see what happens. And they said what most people say when you offer to pray for them. That sounds like a great idea, okay? Uh, and then it came out of my mouth. Why don't we roll the camera? Has there anything ever come out of your mouth? And you go, come back with those words. Why don't we roll the camera? Let's get it on film. It'll be good for your documentary. Come back. Oh, <laughs> So there she was, sat on a seat, the camera whirring, and, and I just stood and I put my hand near her head. I said, dear Jesus, would you heal this young woman and reveal 
your presence to her. And we just stood in quietness for about a minute. And then she opened her eyes and she looked at me and she said, that's freaky. <laughs> Which I think we need to write a worship song based around that lamb year. It's freaky, it's freaky, God is on the move. It's freaky, it's freaky, let's get in the groove. I've written it already. Woo, come on. I don't pre-plan these things, you know. And this is what she said. I can feel a peace coming over me. Uh, the amount of people, I remember Lamia and Chris were saying this week about a, a drug addict in France. Oh, and she was healed, by the way. Uh, I remember talking about a drug addict in France who, who he was a little bit off his head, right? Yeah. So, so he's the only Muslim that would let you pray for him because he was a little bit off his head, which probably helped. And, and, and Chris prayed. And again, the amount of people that say, I can feel this peace. You know, peace is a person. Yeah. When you're close... To him, you're at peace. Anxiety is a backsliding. Now listen, if you're in trauma needing healing, I don't mean that. Sometimes it takes time to get your peace back, doesn't it? Sometimes hours, sometimes days, sometimes months if something has gone deep. But you, you hold him close. But for, 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 for us just going through our normal day, you want to get your peace back. Sometimes you just have to stop and say, I want to be close to the one who is peace. And just like that sound girl and just engineer and just like the, the drug addict in France, and I could tell you more stories, we've just got to come close and say, would you, would you stand by me? I love this verse. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened and empowered me. Who needs the Lord to stand by them? You see, when you're stood next to God, Peace comes. Peace is a result of intimacy. Christian, I'll say it again. Peace is a result of intimacy. The anxiety and the stress is a sign that we're moving away from God. And perhaps, and this happens to all of us all the time, we have to recognize it. I've stepped away and now I'm trying to do even this Christianity thing without him. I'm subtly starting to do it for him instead of with him. But peace is, is God standing close to us. And he's, yeah, I sense his peace in this room right now while I'm talking. He's, he's, he stood right here. He stood by me. And it's just like there's this, ah. <sighs> he's here. Someone out there. We're not so good at quietness. Sometimes we need to stop and slow down and just go, Jesus, be near. Be close. Be intimate. There's a little uh, scientific reality, I guess. Entrainment, it's called. Anybody know what that is? You probably explain it better than me. But essentially, here's the thought. The guy that in- invented the the, a pendulum clock. So he had them on his walls and he's watching them and he noticed that uh, uh, within a short while all the pendulums would swing at the same rate. Did, did, did you know that two people in love sat at a dinner table talking, uh, that their hearts line up and their breathing lines up? It's called entrainment. Um, what's some of the other ones? Choirs, when they sing together, 
their hearts all start to beat the same rhythm and they start to breathe in the same way. That might be to do with the song, but the heart pieces. We, we, we begin to... See, the Old Testament word for peace is about wholeness and soundness. It's about your posture. I'm, I'm, I'm walking right. The New Testament word is the word Irene. The Old Testament is shalom. The New Testament is Irene, and it means unity of one accord. New Testament peace is about becoming united with God, a person. He is peace. And so I put my life next to him and my pendulum starts to swing at the same time as him. And I get my peace back. I get into one accord with him again. And suddenly, ah, there's peace. You, do, do you know the story of, the, of the, the twins that were born in the States? There's actually adult photographs of these two around now. And the one twin was very weak and a regular heartbeat and all this kind of stuff. And the midwife, they tried a few things, but the midwife eventually said, pick up the, the, the healthy twin and, and place it next to. And you saw the unhealthy one on the left, the heart began to move at the same rate as the healthy twin. It's entrainment. It's just, there's a lining up that takes place. And see, stress is when we're not like that with God. Peace is when we put our lives right next to him. And sometimes it takes a minute, sometimes a day. Sometimes it takes a few months if we've been through a trauma for our lives to begin to beat with the same rhythm as God. And we trust he's doing it all. I'm not here trying to be a success. I'm here trying to walk with Jesus. And in fact, I only want what he's going to give me. End of. And I'll deal with every desire that says, other than that, I need to repent of it. I need to get rid of it. I need to absolutely trust that the life he gives is the best life possible. And you'll have stress in your finances until you can do that with your finances in God. You'll have stress in your career until you can do that with your career in God. You'll have stress in your family until you can realize, let's invite God into our family. As we invite him in, we realize peace is a person. A friend of mine, and I'm just finishing with this really, uh, a friend was due to have a, an operation, a fairly, fairly routine, major but routine, if you know what I mean, it's regularly done and regularly safe operation. And then she's reading his Bible before he's uh, uh, given anesthetic and sent, sent down to theater. He's, he's reading his Bible and, and he reads the passage where it says, I will raise you from your deathbed. But it's like it leaps off the page. It's a moment of God being close. And it's as though the words leap off a page and it comes loud and strong. It's a God moment. God does these things. He interrupts. He says, that's your wife. <laughs> we end up trusting God. Okay. He said, I will raise you from your deathbed. Very, very slowly, God shouted it in his spirit. I will raise you from your deathbed. And he's thinking, this is a routine operation. I, hadn't planning on, I wasn't planning on dying. In the end, he died six times on the operating theater. In the operating theater. Um, they brought him back round. He was fixed up. And, and then the surgeon came to see him when he came round. And the surgeon sat on the edge of the bed. And he looked at him and said, that was a pretty tricky operation. We lost you six times, explained a few things. Then he said, I want to ask you one thing that we're all talking about in my staff. When you died, when someone dies, normally there's a fair amount of, 
not panic, but it becomes frantic. People become busy. I, I would imagine other staff are coming in to support. People are grabbing defibrillators or whatever happens. I, thankfully, I've never been in that environment. But he says, normally there's a lot of a flurry of activity. But when you died, it's a peace came into the theater that everyone in the theater felt. What was that? And this man, Peter, he said, well, that would have been the presence of God. And the surgeon said, yes, I think it was. See, peace is a person who walks into our room and we go, okay, my career, perfectly safe. My health, perfectly safe. Every battle I've yet to fight, ones I don't even know about, I'm perfectly safe. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. I'm completely safe in your hands. Peace is a person. And as we go into a moment of worship right now, I want us to maybe release some of those elements that put our posture in the wrong place and say, Jesus, will you come close? I want to know the person of peace, Jesus.